So I went to the board, uh, Q4 last year. And I said, I'm going to double down. I'm going to look at m and I'm going to push aggressively. Because this is the time for us to shine. Right? This is the time for us to really take market share. Because a lot of our peers, a uh, lot of the companies we work around with are now like, oh, let me look at my cost. Let me not, uh, let me curb enthusiasm around expansion. Like that. We're still building, we're still building our markets. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Fintech Leaders, a weekly podcast where we learn from today's global leaders in fintech business and beyond. Coming to you from New York City, I'm your host, Miguel Armasa. If you enjoy this conversation, I encourage you to share it and please leave a review on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or whatever you get your shows so more people can learn from it. In this episode, I sit down with Prajit Nano, CEO and co-founder of Neum a billion-dollar fintech building global payments infrastructure supporting over 100 currencies across more than 190 countries. Founded almost seven years ago in Singapore, Neum has raised almost $300 million from top fintech investors, including Riverwood, GFC, Temasek, and Visa, amongst others. In this episode, we discuss the advantages of outsiders. Prior to Neum, Prajit was not a payments guy. So how did his non-payments background actually become a source of strength? Lessons from hiring hundreds of people. What have they learned about startup recruiting over the last several years? Why it's crucial to narrow your focus and double down on your strengths. Building and scaling a B2B sales organization board management lessons, and a lot more. Hope you enjoyed this great conversation with Prajit from Neum. All right, Prajit, welcome to the FinTech Leaders Podcast. I am extremely excited that we're doing this. It's round two for us. We met through the Wharton FinTech Podcast when I was hosting that. And since then, you know, we've done a lot together. So it's great to have a second uh, episode in the books. How's it going? Thanks, Miguel. Thanks. Thanks, um, uh, thanks for inviting me again. It's always good fun to chat. And I've been reading and listening to some of your podcasts and they've been amazing. So when you said, uh, hey, are you keen to come back again? Like I was like, hey, let's do it. I- I'm honored. I'm honored, man. So let's talk a bit about uh, your prior experience to Noom. Tell us briefly what you were doing, but more importantly, when did you start seeing yourself as a builder and as an entrepreneur? So in a way, I've been a bit lucky. My father was an entrepreneur, uh, zero, zero tech, so completely a different line of business, but it was an entrepreneur. But while growing up, I could see uh, what an entrepreneur means, like you know, the stress, the pressure, the fact that you're trying to keep a business afloat. So I could, I could see that. It kind of also imbibed that like at a very young age, for me, I wanted to be an entrepreneur, right? Like my my friends still make fun of me. Like uh, when we were 15, I used to say that, hey, I want my company's name on this building, right? Like, uh, like uh, and some of it is true, but he, like in the fact that as a child, I wanted to dream big, right? Like, and that I think is uh, very important uh, as I was kind of growing up. But, you know, fast forward, my career was pretty, I would say, helter-skelter, chaotic. Like, uh, and this is because I, I, I still 
keep telling this to so many folks that you can be not really sure what you want to do, but you can still be successful at the end of it, right? Like, because a lot of people are like, oh, no, I need to know what I'm going to do in my life by 15 and 20 and 25. I like, I'm a great example uh, that I kept on doing well in my careers, but I really did not know what to do, right? Like, and it, it's, a, it's a good example. So, started my career with a brief stint in uh, consulting, didn't like it, uh, uh, moved out pretty quickly, uh, went into the IT outsourcing advisory world, did that for a decade, did well and got significantly bored and said, hey, I have to figure out doing something else. Then did uh, an interesting stint, about 18 months stint with a, a, a Dutch company, which did, uh, and if you think about all my experiences, nothing to do with tech, right? Tech was a enabler, but tech was never core, right? Like, uh, like sometimes I wish that I would have worked for like tech-enabled companies, but that wasn't the case, right? Like, and uh, because of which I've made so many mistakes while building Neom, right? Like, yeah. But when I think about it now, uh, I would really love to kind of uh, have worked in a tech company before I kind of start building. So spent about like 12, 13 years before deciding that I want to build Neom, right? Uh, but always wanted to be an entrepreneur. I think that's something which you would find uh, significantly different that you, even at a young age, I always wanted to do something of my own. So why payments? Because for those who don't know, if you look around, there is a lot of payments companies. And if you look at the public companies, the top fintech companies, they're all payments. You know, So for those who don't know the industry, you would say that market is covered. No, it's an incredible question. Like, and, and this goes back to a lot of what I was saying earlier, that I never knew what I wanted to do, right? Like, I'm an accidental payment expert. I like, uh, like, who in the world at the age of 20 says, I want to be a payments guru, right? Like, there's nobody. And if somebody is saying, they're lying, right? Like, nobody wants to, like, payments is, can be boring, right? Like, so, like, uh, I'm absolutely accidental into payments. I had a personal challenge of moving money uh, back in 2013 and, and uh, it kind of worried me saying, hey, why isn't money movement a better process, right? And that actually started kind of driving the fact that it's time for me to kind of invest my time and energy and trying to build something. Because I told you earlier that I wanted to be an entrepreneur. And being an entrepreneur meant the fact that I wanted to do something of my own, but I couldn't find an idea big enough, Right. So when I got into the world of payments, trust me, I never knew what is, I knew what was Swift was. I never knew what is an FX, what is an intermediary bank, what is, uh, what is various kinds of fees associated with it, the nomenclatures, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Right? Today I go and sit in panels saying he's a payment expert. And like, guess what? I did not know payments till 2014, right? Like that's when I said, okay, let me immerse myself. Let me figure out, let me speak to hundreds of people. Uh, and that's how payments happen, right? And I'll tell you one interesting aspect of it. A lot of people who I spoke back in 2014, 2015, now when they meet me and say that, Prajit, you know, one reason why Niam's done well is because you didn't come from payments. Because if you had come from payments, you would have thought about all the glass ceilings which exist in the world of payments. Because you had no clue, you were always questioning like, why does it happen this way? Like, why, why can't you do this? Why can't you change this in this manner? Why can't you do this, etc.? Which folks who have done only payments for like 15 years will be like, oh, but you can't do this for multiple reasons. I think because we didn't come from payment, I was able to challenge rationales of a lot of aspects which uh, people who have lived and breathed payments don't, right? Like 
and i think that challenges even today right like we are able to challenge a lot of things which people uh, can't see clearly yeah and actually that goes to one thing i've heard from you and read about the talent that you want to attract at new and that is you're looking for non-linear thinkers who can deal with chaos that's all right it's a good tagline but how do you actually make sure that you're bringing that kind of people on board through that interviewing process, which I imagine has evolved over time. Yeah, I think um, I can tell you that we were very poor hirers when we started. And it's largely because I didn't come from the industry. I didn't understand tech that well. Like, so a lot of my, uh, if you'll ask me, mistakes were on hiring. And like, and I keep telling early stage founders who I spent time mentoring and talking to is that hire people where urgency is top priority for them. Urgency isn't top priority for them. It is not going to work out. It's not about age, experience, skill set, nothing like that. But startups who are not urgent will die a very quick death, right? So you know, like in our company, when now I think about our early stage colleagues who were working with me, not many people were in the urgent zone. They were all in that zone. I think that's been a very big uh, part of it. Uh, hunger is something which a lot of people are not able to really encompass. What, what does hunger mean? It's like very common whenever I'm hiring senior leaders, right? If I hear comments that, hey, I have made my money and this is not for money, I don't hire them. Uh, because I need somebody who believes that if Niam is successful, and uh, I strongly believe we can be because we have the right ability and the uh, kind of the next four or five years, we can out-execute everybody in the market. But I need somebody to feel that if Niam does extremely well, this will be the last time I have to ever wake up at 7 a.m. and respond to a work email, right? So I want people to come in with that mindset. If you're coming into the mindset saying, oh, you know, I've made my money, I'm that chilled out zone, you won't be hungry enough to work for a weekend, you know, take a, a economy class flight on a Sunday night and fly into London and straight away hit office, right? Like these are things which are important and you'll never find those parameters. What we've also kind of evolved is a, a group thinking on hiring. Uh, which means instead of just me hiring with the hiring team, we include the broader leadership. So even if the person doesn't have any semblance, it's just good to get inputs from various folks on whether this is the right fit in leadership. Because what I'm also trying to avoid in our exact team is somebody who is super smart and bright, but is an absolute asshole. Right? Because what happens is that you always want that commandery to work well. right? Like you want to treat this as an extension of the family. Like some of the things we do here is, you know, as leaders, we get along with our family like once every few months, get them together, go out for dinner, etc. You don't want one person or two persons spoiling that, right? Saying that, oh, like I don't want to sit beside you for a dinner, right? That's why I think it's important for us that we hire a strong bunch of team. Rebuild my whole leadership. That's been an interesting journey uh, trying to build, especially in various kinds of markets. And again, like, the key elements for me when I look at people is how hungry you are. Do you want this to be a place? And do you see or connect to the vision, right? What is the kind of urgency which you can show through, right? And then I also uh, meet a lot of people and then I actually don't message them at all for a few weeks and things like that and wait to see whether they respond back to me, right? That's a show for me that, hey, I'm hungry. I'm, I want it, right? Like I really want it. I really enjoy when somebody says that, Prajit, I really want this. And I really want this to happen. 
uh, right uh, on the funny side if somebody says niam's name wrongly they are like ah definitely cannot hire this person like if you can't pronounce niam now uh, or somebody uh, does like poor research on us right like i think um, at a senior level and i'm talking about people who would report into me or somebody would like at the next level right it's very important to be clear that you're excited about the space right like the space is something which you really truly believe and you've researched some parts of it because there are so many different payment providers right so you need to have some knowledge that where do we fit in right if somebody says oh you're like a plaar like i'm like oh my god like you've not done any work before you met me right like so that's something which you try to avoid as well yeah because at the end of the day you're paying for that experience of knowledge yeah that hunger that you describe many people have it oftentimes i find it in immigrants as an immigrant myself you can't teach that you know you just have it within you and some part of it right like also goes through change i also like you thought that uh, you know it's uh, i also thought that maybe it could be a age related thing etc but i've hired some senior folks who came in with incredible hunger right like uh, and the ability to push through things i like for example a notion i had which now is changed is that people who spend lot of time in corporate world can never be a good startup colleague right but there are few colleagues who came in and they showed the incredible hunger and passion coming from a corporate world so i think there are some notions which have gone through change as well but i can't stress on especially at early stage you know the founder should spend lot of time on hiring the right talent because a good team will help you build the business and a bad team will kill your business as well like you need people uh, super motivated super passionate super excited and um, every time i tell younger founders is who's building new firms is that just focus on your first team right and your team will change by the way right so it's not necessary a lot of people actually make the mistake of saying oh i'm going to bring on a cto or a cpo and this person's going to be with me for the next 10 years that never happens right even if you look at the best firms even if you look at somebody like us etc we've gone through iterative changes in leadership right and every time the company keeps growing you will need changes in leadership right like as founders uh, and you would see so many founders moving to chairman role etc because at a certain point of time we're saying hey let's bring in better folks to run the business right and that's something which goes through the process as well but at the early stage don't think about 5 6 years right think who you need for the next 2 years who's going to be uh you know hand in glove out executing uh in the market that's what you need at early stage yeah and then, and then hope that they grow with it and want no and hope and support them to grow with it right like but it is possible that they will max out at a certain level right at that time it's it's important for you to know as a founder that okay they have maxed out i need to bring but do it nicely like i'm i'm always of a principal opinion that uh, you know being indian it's all about karma right like so you basically do it nicely you don't want to do it in a manner where people dislike you etc like uh, over our journey lot of colleagues have left us uh, you know as part of the process of like us growing to a large extent hopefully they don't speak bad about me because i think i've done it very respectfully with significant amount of uh, time energy patience so prajit i spoke to one of your board members and he suggested actually a question and it's not a hard one i guess but uh, think about your tam right it's massive of course so that means you have many directions to go to and so you're building solutions for different customer segments right 
how do you make sure that you, you turn your focus into delivering what each vertical needs? It's an incredible question. And I can tell you that a lot of strategy and planning has happened over the last two years versus the last four years. Last four years, when we started till say maybe two years back, we were all about, oh, infrastructure for the world, you know, use us, build us, whatever the way you want it. And we realized it doesn't work. Like this whole aspect about use the infrastructure, embeddable, like all of these are now four-letter words in my dictionary, right? Like because in the end, what I'm seeing is you have young startups coming and plugging into your platform, etc. And every use case is different. Everything has its different strengths, weaknesses, etc. And we just realized that suddenly we were supporting at one point of like, like 30, 40 different use cases, right? Which is terrible because you you cannot ever scale a product. Like I think two years later, as we were going through this management change within our team, I think uh, we kind of got together and said, what are we good at, right? Let's not, let's forget about what the companies are using us for. Let's, what are we good at? And we spent a lot of time. And now what we've done is we've actually really granularized it to a large extent, right? We focus on three different industries, banks and fintechs, travel, and digital platforms. And within those, we power seven use cases. And that's all what we do, right? So what we want to be is category leader in these seven use cases versus going and saying that, oh, I can do 20 different things, etc. And this shift over the last two years has led us incredible success. Because we finally found focus, which is very important as you get late stage, right? If we found platform stability, because you're not changing and tweaking things for every client, you're really, really focused, right? We got uh, go-to-market success and motion because you're not spraying and praying anymore. You have like really focused. These are 50 companies we need and we are going to go behind versus our world is our home kind of a mindset, which is like, hey, sell anywhere, everywhere, right? And we are a complex beast as a company. We are today, 90% of our revenue comes from Europe and Asia. 10% comes in from Americas. Latin America is huge for us, right? Uh, it is scaling rapidly than any other business, right? So the complexity is used. But by narrowing down to use cases, narrowing down to three lines of businesses, we've now found the focus where, I, where I'm fairly confident that we can do a billion dollars of revenue over the next five to seven years. So, Prajit, what if you would have done that exercise of what are we good at? And the answer would have been, you know, some customers with a small TAM. Did you run into that problem? Because I imagine also that was part of the exercise, right? What are we good at? And also, are there opportunities? No, and you are absolutely correct. So what we did is we actually did, uh, and I can tell you we're maturing as an organization, right? Like, and I, I, before I jump into that question, I can tell you this, that earlier we wanted to launch a market. It was, you want to launch a market, get going. This is what we are doing. Now I have a strategy day for landscape, the market does visit, speaks to people. What is that? Can we win in that market? And now we launch a market. So I've got like people like McKinsey, et cetera, as part of my team who really focus on that. And I've been very successful at it. So two years back, I think one of the things which we did is we looked at all the use cases, right? So we spent a lot of data, super analytical team. Everybody understands numbers. I can throw a number and somebody will calculate and give me the answer. So like really bright bunch of folk. We got everybody together, closed them in a room and said that these are the 40 use cases why people are using me, right? And we were able to kind of say, hey, this is not a big time. 
hey, this, what are we doing with this? And there were some interesting use cases where we, you know, the whole word embedded and I hate the word embedded because I don't think it works, right? Like we were powering some of the largest brands in the world from an infrastructure, a great PR opportunity. Uh, we did a lot of PR and we realized the volumes were negligible, right? Because that's not core of their business. The core of the business is something they're focusing on. So they used to go through this, oh, this is awesome. This is amazing. Uh, no, we are very busy with our uh, work. Oh, we've now think that we have time to pick this up. Oh, the industry is now hit another curve. You know, they used to not spend marketing dollars, etc. Right? Like there were a couple of brands who leveraged us to create like a fintech brand. And guess what? We were just not scaling. There was not marketing dollars being put into it. And you need to have a focused vision to scale a business. We didn't see that. Everyone felt I have a custom base, so I can become a fintech. That's not true. We need to have a focused vision to be a fintech, right? Uh, so we cut down all of that. There are so many places. Uh, you know, we have one of that startups who's gone and refunded set of fees to pay people. We said, hey, we onboarded you, uh, but I'm sorry. We, we decided we don't want to focus in this area. So we did that. It's very painful. Uh, it's very painful to go back to your board and say that, guess what? I'm going to give back all these set of fees. Uh, and all of these elements. But the pain we went through, I'm seeing the success of it today, right? Because we went through all the 40 use cases, figured out TAMs for use cases, killed everything. And we also said that let's just double down on this, right? It hurt, right? It uh, Like we had one or two quarters of jitteriness saying that where are we going? Like, will this come back? But uh, we grew 150% last year. We will double revenue this year. And these are now moving into, you know, not tens of million, hundreds of million kind of a conversation. So I think it, that's something which I'm very proud of. So I was talking this morning with uh, two entrepreneurs. Uh, they're building an amazing company in Brazil. We've invested. Uh, and one of their topics right now that they're really thinking of is building a B2B sales organization. And you went through this uh, a few years ago. Obviously, your your organization has evolved, but you know, tell us about that process. How did you go about building the sales operation? You know, my strength is sales, right? Like I came from the background which I was selling in various organization, and to be honest, that's what I'm really good at. Like even if you look at my 100% CEO time, 50% is doing enterprise sales because this is a place where I believe I can add the max value. And I think going back because we're hopefully a lot of early stage founders will listen to this. I think people should focus what they're really good at, and especially at early stage. I was good at enterprise sales, so I had the team which could kind of look at ops and product and support and what I went and got a lot of our early customers in to kind of go through it. I can tell you that sales is all about focus, and sales is all about discipline. Right? We had none of those at the start, and like as I told you, right? Like now, I you know now. I say no to more things than saying yes. I think uh, one of the best early stage advice I've ever got is from uh, Mickey Malka at the Ribbit. Uh, big fan of Mickey. Mickey uh, met me in one of our early days and he said, Prajit, your list of things which you should say no to should be higher than the things you say yes to. And it's a, such a, I still look at that, but I, I never practiced it, to be honest. It's just over the last two, three years, I've been practicing more aggressively. Earlier, I was the sales guy who said, oh, let's do this. Oh, let's do that. And let's do that. And let's do that. And let's do that. Change, let, let's change the product roadmap. Let's do this. Now, we don't do that anymore. Like I think now we've become more structured. Building a go-to-market team is tough. Uh, uh, extremely tough, right? There is nothing 
which can get you ready for a global scale. If you're building specifically for Brazil, super easy. But suddenly you're going to do it for Argentina, Colombia. It's going to change more significantly because what works in Brazil will never work in Argentina. What works in Argentina will never work in Mexico. Right? So for you to be, and the challenge is again, trying to have somebody to kind of overlook all these things doesn't really work. So you have to go back to the drawing board. What is going to work in a region? What is going to, what are the strategies we have to overlook at? Have great sales operations, right? Like uh, one thing which I see a uh, lot of young founders not spending too much of time in sales operations, right? Like I would do daily stand-ups with sales folks. I would do weekly setups, right? Uh, because sales folks need to be pushed hard to start getting things in place. Because if they don't get start getting things in place, like the sales motion is all going to be done, right? And sales is a place where you give a lot of, lot of support to early stage folks. But after that, you basically uh, kind of let go. Let's talk a bit about the, the environment that has shifted, obviously, at the macro level. So 2021 was uh, you know, an insane year, of course. And, and what's happened now, and I'm seeing is a lot of companies have gone back and they're focusing inside. They're like, I'm more efficient trying to reduce burn, maybe even become profitable. You know what I'm talking about. But I've seen other companies, and they're the minority, they're actually doubling down. This is like, this is the time to gain market share. Where, where are you in, in those two camps? We're in the doubling down camp, uh, right? Like uh, a lot of my peers are consolidating, looking at uh, internal things, et cetera. We've been a very lean and scrappy company. So I, I have to tell you the mindset, right? You can't be doubling down if you have high burn, if you have like, I, I worry for founders who have like $100 million burn, right? Anything like our burn has always, like our burn today is so manageable and we can be profitable in few quarters if we cut few things, which we don't want, right? So you can't be doubling down and going aggressive in a market, especially when you are not lean and scrappy, right? I think that's the thumb rule, right? Even if you're, 300 million in the bank and you're burning 100 million a month, I wouldn't propose you doubling down because you're going to burn through that money just by that. We're lean and scrappy completely, right? So that helps, right? I also believe like the way I kind of think and the way I kind of push to internal teams is that I believe if you look on revenue, not on valuation, just look at net revenue. And again, payment companies are very naughty. We talk, every numbers you hear in public are all gross revenue. So they are inflated numbers, right? They don't, uh, rebates, interchange, uh, which is, needs to go back to Visa, MasterCard, or any of those things are not are like focusing on net revenue only. Uh, I believe that Niam will be like a six, top 60, 70 revenue company uh, globally across all fintech. And the way I've positioned to the team is if we out execute everybody over the next two years, we'll have the option of being a top 20 company, which includes the stripes, the audience, the checkouts, and things like that, right? Great opportunity. Everyone who looks at our numbers is always amazed at how you guys still continue to growing so fast. So I think a lot of positives associated with it. But the only way you can be lean and doubling down if you're, if you're scrappy. Right? If you're not scrappy, you're just going to burn through cash. And you're just going to increase your flow. So I think that's where uh, a burn is super controllable. Uh, right? Like, so that's why we can double down. So I went to the board uh, Q4 last year. And I said, I'm going to double down. I'm going to look at m and I'm going to push aggressively because this is the time for us to shine, right? This is the time for us to really take market share 
because a lot of our peers, a lot of the companies we work around with are now like, oh, let me look at my cost. Let me not, uh, let me curb enthusiasm around expansion, etc. We're still building, we're still building our market, uh, getting hyper active in Latin America right now, right? Like we, we are now setting up local entities in all the key markets and starting to hire local teams, etc. So if you see, like, in most cases, I'm seeing boards of my peers stopping all these activities, saying, oh, just double down on what we're good at, not something new. Speaking of which, this is a topic that has come up in the podcast a good number of times. And and that's the, the function of the board of directors. What do you think is the main function of the board? I think uh, I reverse this question and I always say that what help do you need from your board, right? I think board has a fiduciary responsibility. But I sometimes think as founders that we don't, we need to figure out what we need from the board, right? Like I would do things, I would talk to our board members and I've never, by the way, in so many years, I've never had anything which came up to a vote or anything like that, right? Like, because in the end, right, I know what I wanted. I've been working with the board members for a five. We've got two incredible people who joined our board recently, David Yates, ex-president of MasterCard, Will Lin, who used to be ex-CEO of a firm. Right, like so, really big names. I'm still looking to go through some board change now, bring in more strong operators. Like what I do with our board is governance is one part, right? That's their fiduciary responsibility. We've got big four auditors, etc., etc., etc. Right, and like how much ever you and what I keep telling people, and people don't like when I say this, that if the founder wants to do fraud, he will do fraud. There's nothing the board can stop to do in that aspect. Right, we've seen cases in India. We've seen so many cases of founders doing fraud and getting away with it. It's because whatever the board does, how much ever process you put, if there is intent to do fraud, you will do fraud, right? How much ever big force you get, etc., that's not going to happen. So I just think that if there is intent, there will fraud will happen. So there is whatever you build processes will continue to kind of break if there is intent to fraud, right? But the value of the board is more of a sounding board, right? So that's why it's very important to have a mix of operators, independent members versus investment directors. Because the challenge with investment directors are always, uh, you know, spreadsheet oriented. Oh, burn this, that, etc. Right? Like why, uh, like Q4 generally, especially December tends to be a quiet month for payment companies because you know, like it's post Thanksgiving, uh, new deal, new logos, etc. The volume kind of comes down. So like these are places where you don't want. Oh, why does it happen? Blah blah blah. You can spend a lot of time. I've actually gone through our cap table, got rid of some investors who were extremely painful like uh, and i used to call them spreadsheet warriors all they do is you know you know niam cannot be a spreadsheet computation there is a lot of heart, like there's a lot of blood sweat tears which has gone to build the business right so you just kind of putting us as a numeratical value in a spreadsheet is the worst thing you can put, right and trust me there are some board members like that and uh, they are terrible right like so even we had people who would never sat on our board but were investment directors and looked at as a spreadsheet and over a period of time, I've done secondaries and kind of exited them completely out of the book, right? But going back to your primary question, I think board has a fiduciary responsibility, right? Which is to ensure governance in the company, right? But at the same point of time, if there is a founder's intent to do fraud, he will do fraud. There's nothing you can stop. You can write as many processes as you want, but the founder can do fraud, right? And it's the worst way to think because today I run the business knowing the fact that my investors have full trust in me. If I'm buying a company, I, I don't have any hidden adjustment where the money comes back to my account or any of that crap, right? 
and that's and I sleep very peacefully with it, saying that the board has explicit trust that we trust this guy is doing the right decisions for the company, right? But I also reverse it to the board, saying that hey, where are you guys going to help me? Right? Once I uh, attended a board meeting in a very combative style, I actually went, like I said, hey guy, like because it was you know it was much earlier, it was like three four three years back, etc. And couple of uh, people, on, especially observers, were just saying, oh, you know, this, that. They're mostly financial without realizing the bigger implications. So I reversed and I said, hey, you know what? You guys have invested in us, right? What is the value you bought to me, right? Like, tell me, like and, I, and I cut out the call. I said, listen, what? Come back to me. If you can introduce me to three people in your portfolio or others, please don't email me. I'm not going to respond to your question. I was combative because now I think I was a bit immature. But... To be really, the fact what I was trying to push through is that a board journey and a founder journey is, in a way, it's like marriage, right? We'll have good days, we'll have bad days, we'll have angry days, we don't want to speak to each other. But how we kind of come together and solve for the success of the company is important. But you can never be from a place of power all the time trying to squeeze the founder saying, oh, this doesn't work. You have to be complimentary as well, right? And I see good board members are bad. And good members are, they push you aggressively. Saying, hey, why is this not happening? Why is that not happening? What's your plan? What's your strategy? And very complimentary on the other side saying, hey, these are like five, six prospects. Here is a person you can speak to. I understand this challenge. Let me work with you to solve my challenge, right? Versus please go figure this out. Yeah. Fascinating stuff. Prajeep, we're running out of time, but before I let you go, you was born in Singapore and you are a global company at this point, but you've set up shop in San Francisco, and you know, I take a little bit of offense to that. Latin New York, which I consider the capital of fintech, tell us about that dynamic between SF, San Francisco, and also Singapore. Like I moved to San Francisco to because I never had a U.S. strong U.S. ecosystem, right? Like there's everybody in Asia and Europe know Neom extremely well, and I used to come and I used to travel to San Francisco and U.S. and uh, people used to ask me, oh, so what do you guys do? Like, uh, like I've been to events where I said, hey, I'm Liam and uh, this is what we do with power payments. And, oh, are you accepting angel checks? Can I give you like 100k, 200k? Like what you sounding is amazing. I've got like two, three people who would love to use it. But would you take like 100k? And I'm like, oh, we've already raised like 300 million and things like that. So I think the aspect about what I really wanted to do is kind of build the brand, right? Like build the aspect of it, uh, get closely connected to the ecosystem, the plugged ecosystem. And uh, I've really enjoyed my last 18 months in San Francisco. I think it's been amazing. I've been able to rebuild my whole leadership uh, as well. Uh, got some incredible talent to come and uh, join us. And some of them have been excited because they wanted to work with me closely. And I'm in the same office. We are back to office. I do, I've, I've never been a big believer in remote. Uh, but we are now, everyone's back to office three days a week. So I think that's something which uh, I'm pretty happy. Like it's like you can see the people, the hustle bustle happening. I'm taking this thought of an open office. Uh, New York is an incredible city. Uh, it's an incredible city. I used to live when I was younger. But I think if I now live in New York, I'll exhaust myself even more. Uh, right? Like, uh, like, and we've got friends and close family in New York. And when we were discussing, should we go to San Francisco and New York? I said, listen, like, I, I think I'm too old to do New York again. Like, I don't want to be doing midnight dinners. And uh, like, like I would land up doing that. The best thing about San Francisco 
is that it gives me a lot of peace and calm and i can go for a quiet walk in the park not be bothered go to the beach go to uh, you know go for a hike right i i feel that as founders our life is always on a treadmill right like we are always running 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 increasing the speed running 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 if i was on new york i think and it's it's personality right like i am somebody who like if now i am in new york next week trust me i've got like a dinner drinks and all of that plan right but i come back to san francisco i'm like ha ah, i want to lay back like i don't think i can do that like so it's also my personality that i want to be in san francisco because i think uh, i have two young kids uh, my ability to spend time with them is also important etc so i think from that perspective we we have couple of colleagues i will build new york into like a a big sales hub for us right but i can't see myself going like I, i trust me i'll join that circle i'm not the sleep at 9 am and wake up at 4 am guy i'm sleep at 1 am wake up at 5 am guy like so uh, i would join that circle of doing late night drinks going out etc because it's part of my personality right uh, but i think we are missing a slight opportunity by really not having a bigger sales hub in new york uh, but i i i will change that so you'll hear some announcement like for three months you will see a big change all right Well, so I'll, I'll I'll see you in in New York, Rajit. Thanks for doing this. Uh, I think it's been a, a master class on entrepreneurship. No doubt, people are gonna enjoy it. No, I sure. And like as I said, like uh, I have made more mistakes than correct decisions, right? Like, and one day I think I should be in a place to write like a hundred of the mistakes which I've made. Uh, I keep telling folks that I'm too young to do only one startup. I have in me to do another startup once Niam becomes. successful and uh, in a place where it doesn't need me i would start thinking of doing another one and hopefully i'll make new mistakes and not the same ones which i made with liam amazing thank you prajit cheers miguel speak soon man bye thanks for tuning in and i hope you enjoyed this great episode with prajit ceo of neum if you want more interviews make sure to subscribe follow and leave a review on apple Podcasts, spotify or whatever you get your shows it helps and means a lot and if you have any suggestions or thoughts about the show please drop me a line on twitter or linkedin signing off till next week i'm your host miguel armasa